This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio! And today we're starting not as we often do with a great hymn of praise, but with an invitation to a few reflective moments. Marie Curie is the UK's leading end-of-life charity, and they suggested that there should be a national day of reflection, a special moment to remember everyone who died during the COVID pandemic, to support people who are grieving, and to take time to recognise and reflect on the sorrow, collective loss and often unresolved grief that emerged from such unusual times. The date has been fixed at today, the 3rd of March, and we're encouraged to find our own way to pause, reflect and honour those who've died, to cherish their name, their memory and all the love that surrounds them, drawing strength from knowing that others are also remembering lives lost. With this in mind, I thought we'd start with some gentle music, some words and, I hope, some space for your own thoughts and maybe prayers. Is nothing at all. I have only slipped away into the next room. I am I and you are you. Whatever we were to each other, that we still are. Call me by my old familiar name. Speak to me in the easy way that you always used. Put no difference in your tone. Wear no forced air of solemnity or sorrow. Love as we always loved at the little jokes we enjoyed together. Play, smile, think of me, pray for me. Let my name be ever the household word that it always was. Let it be spoken without effect, without the trace of a shadow on it. Life means all it ever meant. It is the same as it ever was. There is unbroken continuity. Why should I be out of mind because I am out of sight? I am waiting for you, for an interval, somewhere very near. All is well.
Be still and know that I am God. Contemplative music by Margaret Ritzer and Keith Duke. Mike Hardy is the Community Relationships Manager for the Leprosy Mission, and he's on the island for his spring visit. A chance to meet up with long-standing supporters of the charity, make new friends, and talk about the life-changing work being done among some of the world's poorest people, where there's malnutrition and poor sanitation, leprosy thrives, with someone being diagnosed with the disease every two minutes. Let's find out more as we welcome Mike Hardy. Thank you, Judith. It is an absolute pleasure to be here back on the island again. There's a great love and support for the Leprosy Mission on the island, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. A great tradition of supporting the Leprosy Mission. And, you know, most importantly, changing the lives of people affected by leprosy all over the world. Now, the last time we spoke, you mentioned that last autumn you'd actually been to India. Tell me a bit more about that, please, Mike. Yes, I had an immense privilege to be able to go to India to see some of the projects that the Leprosy Mission runs over there. I had such an amazing time. It was it was unbelievable. The people were so friendly everywhere we went. And what an insight I got into the legacy of the Leprosy Mission and the ongoing work that the Leprosy Mission does you know, it's all of us together, working together, and what we're able to achieve is absolutely unbelievable. Now, the Leprosy Mission, established by people who went and spent time with people with leprosy, as indeed you had an insight to this for your own life, your own family life, you lived as a young person in a leper colony, didn't you? Yes, I did. My upbringing on a leprosy colony was very unique. We had people affected by leprosy who lived with us in the village. And as a child, it was just normal part of life. They were just there. They were part of the village. And I had a unique insight really into their lifestyle, how how horribly they'd been affected by leprosy. That was in Africa. This time I went to India, which is a completely different country to anything I've ever been to before. And seeing the effects of it as an adult is quite poignantly different and quite heartbreaking, really. We went to a couple of different projects. The, the first uh, hospital that we went to was in Perulia, which is the first leprosy mission hospital that was ever built in 1888. And while we were there, we obviously got to meet people affected by leprosy today. We got to see the leprosy home that was there where people were not able to go back to their own own villages and own families. And we also got to see a vocational training centre while we were there as well. But poignantly, while we were there, it was Diwali, which is the festival season. And on the site of the hospital, they actually had a talent contest while we were there. And all the kids from the primary schools came into the hospital grounds and they were performing. And the leprosy patients were with us and the vocational training college kids were with us as well. And I just thought, what a beautiful reflection of an integrated society. The people with leprosy in Perulia are not stigmatized against but from there, we went on to Muzaffarpur in Bihar, which is um, a couple of flights away from, from where we were in Perulia. This is in northern India and in the poorest state in India. And there, it was a completely different story. It was a hospital. It, it was only 40 years old, so it was fairly new, I guess, although they've been treating people affected by leprosy since 1904, so for over 100 years. But there, there was still a huge stigma, and it was a very different society. While we were in Muzaffarpur, we were able to look around the hospital. And most people had gone home if they were able to for Diwali. So there wasn't loads of people around. There was one lady there who had leprosy and she was just skin and bone. There was nothing of her. She was lying on the hospital bed in a fetal position 
She was blind. She'd been severely affected with disability from the leprosy. And she couldn't get up. She couldn't get out of bed. The, the nurses would pick her up and turn her every two hours. So there were no bed sores or anything like that. They, the love that the nurses showed to her was absolutely incredible. And they moved her bed right next to the nurses station so that she felt part of a community. So she could hear the nurses laughing and joking and hear what was going on and feel part of what was going on even though she couldn't move. And she'd been like that for 25 years. It absolutely broke my heart. But at the same time, I really saw the love that these nurses and the doctors were able to give to her. And that was just, it was unbelievably lovely. On the same ward, there was a lady who just a week before had been diagnosed with leprosy. She looked about 15 years old. I, I'm guessing she must have been about 25. She had two kids at home who were seven and five. And she was really small. They told us that she was tribal. So she obviously lived in a very remote area. She couldn't speak English, obviously. She couldn't speak Bengali. And she couldn't speak Hindi either. So the doctors couldn't communicate with her. There was one of the carers was able to speak a pidgin version of her dialect. So there was some communication, but it was obviously very difficult. And I can honestly say I have never seen anyone with such a look of horror on their face and despair. She's been diagnosed with leprosy and this has absolutely destroyed her, her self-confidence and anything about her. She'd had plenty of meetings with nurses, doctors, counsellors and what have you, but, but still the stigma was so strong that you could see it all over her face. Leprosy is a disease of poverty, isn't it? It affects the people who've got nothing, either physically or financially. Leprosy flourishes, this desensitising of the hands and feet flourishes where the diet is poor, conditions are not as sanitary as they should be. You're absolutely right, where people are malnourished, where they eat only once or twice a week, where there is poor sanitation, where they're not able to clean themselves, and where there's poor healthcare, that's where you'll find leprosy all around the world. While we were in Muzaffarpur, I had a chat with the councillor there. And he was telling me that the superstitions around their, their religions are very difficult because they don't help with the stigma. So he was telling me that when someone's diagnosed with leprosy, they'll meet the doctor, they'll obviously then meet the nurses, they'll meet with the counsellor and also with the physio. And all four of those professionals will explain to them what leprosy is, how they've caught it and how it will be treated and how they will be cured of it, and that there is life after leprosy. And uh, he said, you know, 95% of the time, the doctor will sit down with the patient the following day and say, do you understand what leprosy is? Yes, I do. I've been cursed because of my sins, either in this life or a previous life. And that stigma is so strong, the superstition, I guess, that that is the hardest thing to break down for them. This was in Bihar in, in northern India, where it's particularly poor and a particularly difficult area. But, you know, that's not the whole story. While I was there, I also went to see some of the community work that goes on, the community groups that have been formed for miles around the hospital. And it was incredible to see, actually, that people are being found a lot earlier. So it's when people are found very late that they, they have terrible disabilities, which, of course, still happens all the time. But the more we're able to spread the word in the community work that we do, the more people we find and the more people that are cured. And then, obviously, they don't then go on to develop these terrible disabilities. So what are your biggest challenges? What's top of your shopping list at the moment, Mike? Top of the shopping list. Interesting question. Um, well, our campaign at the moment 
is around Muzaffarpur Hospital. While we were there, we were able to see the state of the hospital. It was incredible to see the love that the doctors and the nurses had who were treating the patients. Everything went to put the patient first. The patient is always number one. It's not a wealthy hospital, you know, they do struggle from time to time and maintenance is clearly bottom of their list of priorities. Also, with recent developments within the city, the hospital is now flooding. During the monsoon season, half the hospital becomes completely redundant. We can't use it at all. So our campaign at the moment is to raise money to be able to rebuild this hospital. The outpatients department is outside, where obviously in the monsoons it's so wet. When it's not monsoon, it's like 40, 45 degree heat. So people are waiting in that kind of condition for hours and hours, waiting to be seen. We want to make this a hospital that is able to treat the amount of people that now go to it. Every day, 600 people are turning up at this hospital. No appointments, they just turn up and the doctors work until every single patient has been seen. And I think the other thing that's worth mentioning, whilst we say these are leprosy hospitals, nobody is ever turned away. No, it's a leprosy mission hospital. We're there to find and treat people affected by leprosy. Of the 600 people a day who turn up, about three of them will have leprosy. But of course, everybody is treated. So that's the big focus. Now, I think also the purpose of your visit, the Leprosy Mission on the Isle of Man is a separate Manx-registered charity, but really you come come to be alongside people on the island, mostly to tell them what's going on, and of course, having been there, your stories are much more compelling. So this afternoon at four o'clock, you would be speaking at the service in Sandygate on the Jerby Road, and then staying in the north for this evening's service, half past six, in the Methodist Church in Bride. So a couple of opportunities today for people to come along and see you, have a little chat with you, then uh, drinking coffee with the good people of Peel. Friday morning in the Methodist Church in Peel, there's a coffee morning starting at 10 o'clock. So lots of opportunities for people to come out and see you. But of course, the big unmissable thing is the famous Leprosy Mission quiz. You're the quiz master, aren't you, Mike? This year I am the quiz master. Yes, very much looking forward to it. Such a big event on the island and so well supported every year. It's a fun night. I have to say there's an element of competition when various churches put in their teams. So the details, the Promenade Methodist Church here in Douglas, it's quiz night on Friday. It's a suggested donation, £10 per person, and that includes supper and it's a seven o'clock start. Maximum of eight people in a team. So you can bring a preformed team. That would be lovely. But if you haven't got a team, come along and join in somebody else's team. It's just a fun night. So bring along your friends, your family, your neighbours, a little bit of leprosy awareness and hopefully a bit of competition because I like a bit of competition. And lots of easy questions. We'll he's, see. He's... We'll see. I'm not giving anything away. Mike Hardy, Community Partnerships Manager for the Leprosy Mission. Good to have you with us. Thanks for talking to me, Mike. Hope you have a lovely week. Thanks so much, Judith. Jesus often likened his care for people to a shepherd protecting his sheep. And in church services, bishops carry a staff in the shape of a shepherd's crook as a sign that they take Jesus, the good shepherd, as a model of their care for people. So, as my next guest is a bishop, it seems appropriate to introduce him with the 23rd Psalm.
My soul he doth restore again, and me to walk doth make. Within the paths of blessedness, been for his own name's sake. Within the paths of blessedness, been for his own name's sake. This week, we've had the pleasure of welcoming the Right Reverend Mark Davis back to the island. He's the Bishop of Middleton in the Diocese of Manchester, and he's been appointed to take charge of our Diocese of Soder and Man until a new bishop for the island is chosen. His official title is Commissary Bishop, which sounds quite formal and a bit remote. But to call him the temporary bishop is even worse, because, Bishop Mark, you're quite settled in your ministry as a bishop, aren't you? I love being a bishop because I think it's what God has asked me to do. <laughs> but we all get the impression, Bishop, that you really quickly sown yourself into Ireland life <laughs> and you're having a great time, I'm are you? Loving, I mean, my visits here have been such a blessed time and, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be with you again and, and good to be with you this morning also, Judith. Well, thank you very much. It's a busy life, though, isn't it? Because this doesn't let you off being the Bishop of Middleton does it? No, 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 no. It's both and, uh, and that's great. And uh, thank goodness for things like email and electronic forms of communication that keep us all linked up. Both when I'm in Manchester, you know, having good contact here on the island, but also when I'm on the island, having good contact over in Manchester. Now you've made a couple of visits over here. Mm. And of course, geographically, the places are very, very different. Do you see similarities in the diocese? Yes, I think there are. You know, there are so many things that unite us as the people of God in prayer and worship and service, in nurturing the faith and in reaching out to our communities, making a significant difference across this island as we are seeking to do across in Manchester also. Here you come and, and look after business things, the things that we don't really see but keep mm. the diocese running mm. smoothly, but also have opportunities to engage with the people confirming young people, which is what you're doing on this visit. Yes, which will be an enormous privilege. So, yes, we have the business things, you know, doing those things that the bishop has to do, like last night's meeting of the diocesan synod, which was, again, a, a good occasion, but also an opportunity to meet people pastorally, to have an opportunity to pray with people, to listen to their story. And then this afternoon, to have the great, great joy of confirming a number of people and to celebrate that very important stage in their discipleship as they receive the gift of confirmation. They'll profess that baptismal faith at the very heart of the services, that profession of faith for themselves, and then the prayer of confirmation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for them, so that I know with all my heart that because of this afternoon, they will go out from that service as great ambassadors for Jesus Christ. They will carry that faith with them. They will carry that baton of faith, of hope and of love and be transforming in all the ways that they will live out the faith. They will be ambassadors of Christ-filled hope. We have just this week concluded a poll, a survey, to give the public the opportunity to say what they think about the desirability or otherwise mm. of the bishop retaining a vote in Tinwald. Now we've reached this point, what would you like the MHKs to be thinking about as they then decide what their choice is going to be? What would you ask them to think about? I think the well-being of the island and its unity and the way in which history really, really matters. Not as a thing set in aspic from the past, but as a living thing today. 
And the bishop in Tinwald, for me, speaks of an opportunity for service and a commitment to service. Right for, you know, there we have Tinwald, the longest continuous serving parliament in the world, of which the bishop has been a significant player all through that time. And going forward, it's an opportunity, as I see it, an opportunity for service. The Bishop of Sodrum Man is here for the whole island. It's a ministry of service for everyone, not just for Anglicans, not just for those who come to our churches, but for everyone. And so I would hope people would remember that and see it as a very positive way in which the Bishop has contributed to island life over the years and will continue so to do. Would you like people to be aware that, in fact, the bishop, when there is a major issue to be discussed, does take soundings, does talk to people Mm. outside of government, takes the temperature, as you might say, outside government? Yes, I think one of the great privileges of a bishop's ministry is the sheer diversity of conversations that we have day in and day out, week in and week out. And for the bishop to be able to represent some of that in Tinwald is, I think, a significant opportunity. But also, I think, for the bishop to build opportunities to enhance the ways in which the bishop is themselves informed. What are people feeling? What are people saying? What are the concerns of the day? And how can the bishop speak into that? So I've had a number of conversations during my last visit here. I jumped on a couple of buses and just drove around and had conversations with people. They didn't know I was the commissary bishop or any such. But just to listen, what were people concerned about? They were concerned about health issues, about issues of the economy, things that are on their mind and in their hearts, things that are affecting them and their families. Uh, And so I think the bishop's commitment to listening as well as speaking is vitally important and how the bishop is informed in the view that then is shared in Tinwald is really important. Bishop of Middleton, the Right Reverend Mark Davis, who has responsibility for the Diocese of Soder and Man until a new bishop is appointed. And Bishop Mark will be back in a few weeks to share with us some reflections for Holy Week and Easter. And that setting of the 23rd Psalm was from Aled Jones and featured his son, Lucas. And now it's time to take a look at our notice board and we start with services today. It's Civic Sunday at the Abbey Church in Balasala and Malou Parish Commissioners invite you to join them there for a special service this afternoon at three o'clock. Anglican, Methodist and Roman Catholic clergy will join together to lead the service, which will also involve head students from Castle Russian High School and music by the Glenfaber Chorale, with refreshments in Balasala Village Hall afterwards. Then tonight there's a mariner's service in Kirk Christ, Russian Parish Church, led by Reverend Canon Joe Heaton. As usual, afterwards there'll be supper and community hymn singing. 
And now, here's a quick reminder of this year's Lent lunches. I'm just going to give you the venues, times and cost because the food is very similar everywhere. Always soup and bread, desserts and hot drinks and maybe one or two extras. Monday, St George and All Saints Parish Hall, Alexander Drive, Douglas, from noon till half past one, £7.50. Tuesday, it's the Abbey Church Hall in Balasala, served from 12 noon to 2pm, costing £7. Also on Tuesday the 5th, Lent lunches start in Ramsey, in St Paul's Hall in Ramsey, from noon, and the cost is £8 per person. Every Thursday, it's the Cool Methodist Chapel Hall on Cool Road in Braddon, from noon till 2pm, £7. And also every Thursday, there are lunches in St Anthony's Pastoral Centre in Onken, from half past 12 until 2, £8 each. Then every Friday, it's lunch at St Thomas's Church on Finch Road here in Douglas, from noon to half past one, £7. And in other news, Sandygate Chapel on Jerby Road invites you to their monthly charity coffee morning this Tuesday the 5th from 10 until 12 noon. There'll be hot drinks, cakes and a raffle, and the chosen charity for this month is Craig's Heartstrong Foundation. On Thursday the 7th, there's a Songs of Praise in Balagheri Methodist Chapel, led by Gareth Moore. It starts at half past six and everyone is welcome for a grand sing. On Friday evening, the popular choir Musicale will be in concert in Patrick Church and that starts at a quarter to eight. Next Saturday, the 9th, the Island Spirituality Network will meet in St John's Mill from 10am until 1pm for another morning that's open to all faiths and none. The guest speaker next Saturday is Jenny Sinclair, founder of the Christian charity Together for the Common Good. Speaking on the theme, In Uncertain Times, the Common Good and Our Calling, Jenny is the daughter of Bishop David Shepherd, who did so much excellent work drawing together church and community during some very troubled years on Merseyside, famously working alongside the Roman Catholic Archbishop Derek Warlock. Next Sunday, the 10th, is Mothering Sunday, and Bride Methodist Church will be joined by their friends from St Bridget's Bride Parish Church for a service with the Sunday school children starting at half past ten. You're encouraged to come early and enjoy a cuppa and a toasted tea cake before the service. And next Sunday evening, there's a very special Mariners service in Peel Methodist Church as the Mariners celebrate their 50th anniversary. Former choir members and anyone with any connection to the Mariners over the years is invited to come and join in what promises to be a very special celebration. Reverend Chris Belfield will preach and the service in Peel Methodist Church, where the very first Mariners service was held, is at half past six next Sunday evening. And don't forget you're most welcome to send me details of items for the notice board. My email address is judithlay at manxradio.com. Lay is spelt L-E-Y. And I'm afraid that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back later with Sundown, your invitation to join me in our virtual lounge tonight from 9 o'clock onwards with our usual mix of easy listening music, your requests and your dedications. And so, until whenever we meet again, This is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love and care for a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. (music) 